I'm so excited you decided to take the time to listen to Creatives Talk. My name is Eric Humphrey, and on this podcast, I get the chance to speak with some of the most interesting, inspiring people I've worked with and been mentored by. I hope you enjoy. Cool. I'm super excited to be here with Gentry Humphrey. He is the vice president of Jordan Brand. And I originally met Gentry, it had to be 10 years ago, through a mutual friend. And I was working in corporate trying to get out of Atlanta. And Gentry was over at Nike. And it offered me, he was like, would you be willing to move to Portland? And I was like, no. And that was kind of the end of it. (laughs) And now, fast forward, I've left corporate. I'm a photographer. And I've stayed in contact with Gentry over the years. And uh, I've seen his career shift in different areas from being at Jordan to moving over to Nike Sportswear to going to Nike um, Golf and now back at Jordan running the shop. So I'm happy to have you on my podcast. I know your time is super valuable. It's all good, my brother. Hey, love to give it back when I can. So just to start off, can you, you've been at Nike for 29 years now. Can you give me an uh, overview of how it all started, like how you ended up at Nike? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I was probably, like those that know me, I'm like 5'6", so I'm short. But I was the first guy that thought I was going to the NBA. <laughs> like me and Spub and Webb, that we were going to be the two short guys in the NBA. Well, I quickly realized that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and so I had to fall back on um, my other passions. And my passion became kind of the footwear business and sports in general. And uh, I started off working at in retail at uh, a store called Nordstrom and became a buyer, just worked my way up through there. And uh, folks at Nike saw me because I, had, I actually, as a buyer, I changed their mix. They had all dress shoes and casual shoes. And I added athletic footwear to uh, their mix and kind of started their program there. And then one thing led to another, started working with various athletic vendors and people saw my passion for sports and footwear and it just kind of snowballed from there. Wow. So when you went to Cal State, did you play basketball there or? No, I actually played basketball at Cypress Junior College because I thought I was going to be the baller. And uh, and then I realized like, OK, my career is probably not going to go that route. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was when it was time to get back into the workforce, uh, finish up my education and then. Uh, what did you study in school? Uh, public administration. So I did a lot of political science and a lot of communications classes. <laughs> so did you Speeches. always have a passion for fashion and just lifestyle people when you were playing basketball and going to Yeah, college? you know, it, it's uh, shoes have always just kind of been my love. You know, I used to tell people it was a matter of being at the right place at the right time. But my mom told me the story one day, which made me realize that it was more than that. She said that as a kindergartner, before I would go to school as a kindergartner, I'd set out the night before three outfits. So an outfit that I was going to wear to school because I wanted to be GQ, at least back what I thought was GQ. Okay. I set out an outfit that I was going to play sports in. So I was always into either that back then was either football or basketball primarily. So I had my outfits and everything was connected head to toe. And then I don't know why. Again, this is kindergarten. I'm 
what, five, five years old. Five years old. I was in the Cowboys. So I even had cowboy outfit that was hooked up head to toe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think it was part of my DNA. You know, not a lot of five-year-olds are going to do things like not that. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, I got a four-year-old now. He's not sending not, out any clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it was like very meticulous every single night. But was that something you saw in your house? Like, did your mom do that or did one of your parents or somebody? No. No, it was just, it was just, it you. was just me. Yep. It's just how I, like, I, 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 you know, that old saying, like, you know, look good, you play good. I think that was kind of like, no one told me that, but I kind of felt that. So my approach when I was going to school, like I wanted to be on point. And so for me on point was at the time was how I dressed and I wanted to be the best dressed guy in the class. So I was, and I was never afraid to kind of do it different. Like, even back in the day, with big bow ties, all that, I've, I'd rock it different. I didn't mind. And then when it came to sports, same thing. Like, I had my outfit had to be dialed. I had to go to the court or go on the field. And my I had everything. Sweatbands had to be right. Everything. <laughs> so, I, don't, I think it's just part of my OCD, I guess. <laughs> and then just being different. Like, as a, a kid growing up, everybody wants to fit in most of the time. So, how were you able to embrace the fact that you were okay with being different? You know, it's, it's I, again, I think it's one of those things that's just in you. I didn't mind being different. Today, I still don't mind being different. I don't mind doing it differently. <laughs> so, either either you fit in or you don't. I, I think, you know, sometimes your actions allow you to, to, to fit in more so than kind of your appearance. Um, so... I just, and then, you know, I, you know, one might argue I might have had short man complex too. So I just, like, <laughs> I just, I just, being little, I just did what I did and I didn't care. Like, whatever. If, if, if you were a big dude, I bet you couldn't outrun me. So, hey, I had one up on you somewhere. Uh, so I didn't care. <laughs> okay. So you start, you're working at Nordstrom's, you start getting noticed by other brands, Nike, you get on Nike's radar mm-hmm. and you start at Nike. What? What is your first foray at Nike? Yeah, so I had made a life decision. Um, I was actually getting ready to go to law school. I wanted to go to law school. And at the time, I had just become a buyer for Nordstrom. And so when I became a buyer, Nike had come in because I was doing a lot of business with Nike. They were running kind of the majority of my athletic business. I just sat down with the, with the Nike rep, and he saw my passion for the business. He saw my passion for the product, and he actually elevated at the time. He had he was the sales representative at the time, and then he moved into a um, a job where he was kind of the Western sales manager for Nike, and he asked me if I wanted to kind of take over, and so I said, "Well, you know what? If this doesn't work out, maybe Nike will even like." Pay for me to be a corporate attorney for them. I said, so I'll give it a shot. And if if I'm going to leave, at least I'm going to do it for a company that I believe in, that I had some faith in. It was allowed me to stay attached to sport. And in the back of my mind, I thought there was some way, shape, or form I'd make it to the NBA. <laughs> maybe <laughs> not, as, not maybe not as a player, but I'd be associated with the brand and with the NBA in some way, shape, or form. So. Kind of in a roundabout way, I made it 
to the NBA, but not quite the way I thought. <laughs> so 29 years ago, what does Nike even look like back then? Oh, dude, man, it was a completely different place than it was today. Um, and not just Nike, but the industry itself was way different. I mean, um, I think the thing that Nike had going for back then is that they were very unapologetic in their approach to building products. Um, they came from an authentic point of view that related to the athlete. And, you know, it allowed us to kind of create a niche. And so, you know, today there's a lot of that same mentality that goes on, but there's just a lot more players in the game today. So you have to elevate yourself, you know, to stay on top. And so I think the biggest difference is taking some of the learnings that we learned in, from the past and trying to expand on them to you know, create great stuff today. So what were some of the biggest things you learned early on in your career at Nike? Uh, well, I, I think for me, and a little bit of this plays into kind of what we talked about as me as a kid, is um, so so I've had a lot of chance to work with Tinker Hatfield, to me, probably the best designer in the industry. And I learned a lot of things from him. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned is learning how to feel comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, you know, most of the, the world and, and this world that we live in as, that relates to this industry, you know, a lot of people don't know where they want to go or going to go. Like, and it's up to us to kind of take them on that journey. But a lot of times, if you're really doing that, the average person only knows what they know today. So they don't really have kind of the mindset to think outside of kind of what their comfort zone is. So being able to feel comfortable with with being uncomfortable was probably the biggest thing that I learned that allows us to kind of build some of the great stuff that we do today. Nice. So take me kind of through, <clears throat> you start working at Nike, I'm assuming you're working for the Western, the guy that was from the Western region. Mm -hmm. What happens next? Like you, you're working there and then you eventually transition into- Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I started off as an account executive there, which was basically like a sales representative. And it was awesome because at the time, so I worked in Nordstrom, you know, you're dressed, you're suited and booted in, in Nordstrom, but I had all the accounts that were in the hood. So if I went to the hood and I was all suited and booted, then cats were going to look at me like, this dude don't know. <laughs> so literally, I'd be at a point where I'm in the in my car and I've had an appointment at Nordstrom because I still had Nordstrom as an account. And then I had guys in the hood. So I'd be changing into hip hop gear like <laughs> in the car between appointments <laughs> going back and forth. And, you know, it was awesome because you had a chance to kind of stay truly connected to the consumer. But yet you, you were also connected to the business world that allowed you to kind of play in both zones. Um, so, so that was fun. Um, so I did that, but I quickly realized that even as a sales uh, associate or exec, account exec, where I had the most fun is when folks from the creative side would come down and work with me or ask me to like go to speak with certain consumers that were in the LA market. And so because I was so, you know, tapped into the basketball world in LA, you know, I would take them to all the, the, the trend-setting spots, all the biggest basketball players, influencers that were in the market, and we would sit down and have focus groups, and we would talk about how to create things. And that's where I, my, my juices really started to flow. I was like, yeah, I can do kind of the, you know, the business part uh, of sales and things of that nature, but the exciting part was like sitting down and creating cool stuff based on 
stories or insights that you that you heard. And so I made the transition. I was that, and I lived in beautiful Southern California, uh-huh. and was not having any plans of coming to Portland, Oregon, where it rains eight months <laughs> out of the year. It's nice and green up here. Oh, it's green, but there's a reason it's green. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so. You know, to leave that, I was like, I was like, nah, I'm never leaving. And then the opportunity came where I can come up and really make a difference in, in creating product. And uh, so I made that transition up. And man, here, I've been here ever since. So, so it, it was a good deal. And then, then I worked in basketball. And at the time, Jordan was a part of the basketball division. So I got a chance to meet MJ for the first time, which, you know, back then it was like. That, that's the man. Yeah. Uh, so getting to work on that business, and then when we decided as a company to branch off and let Jordan create its own brand, be a subdivision of Nike, I was asked to take that on, and uh, that was it. Was pretty cool to step into those shoes and just really you starting a brand new business, and literally sat in a lot of meetings where we where people were debating whether we should do it or whether we shouldn't, and there was a core group of us that said, hey, look, we believe there's a lot of equity in this logo and we can make some things happen. And and we took off from there. And then I had like a thousand jobs, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so even making that transition, you know, a lot of businesses, Jordan was a basketball player and he was on the basketball. Like, what gave you the confidence to say, we can go take just this one person and build this huge brand, yeah. this build multi-billion dollar brand now? Well, the blueprint was pretty much there. So if you think about how Nike started, basically two guys started off with $1,500 a piece and didn't have a logo, you know, um, had a had a product that was basically positioned from literally a waffle iron in one of the guy's kitchens, <laughs> yeah. you know, poured rubber in a waffle iron, adhered it to an outsole of a really flimsy upper and, you know, started selling it out of the back of the car, you know. And so if... You have that as your blueprint, <laughs> and then you start to look at what this brand has. You had one a logo that identi- that was able to, you were able to identify with the man himself. The man himself kind of spoke to excellence. You had a billion dollar company backing it, like to me, and, and you had you had a, a guy that was you know unapologetic at his approach to life as well as how he played the game, and. To me, that's just a recipe for doing something different. And it was a, something that could be truly complementary to what the Nike business was doing. And so it was kind of easy to see to me. Yeah. So there was no fear associated with making that decision and making that leap? For well, you? there were, for me, there wasn't. Now, there were people that had a lot bigger business <clears throat> cards than I did <laughs> that, that, that they might have been afraid. They might have been afraid to look at it because, you know, the, the financial part of it. But. I think like we put it together a really strong business plan against it. And, you know, I think looking back today where there were people that said, nah, it'll never work. Like they're saying like job well done. So, yeah. So, and in the beginning days, tell me, was it, tell me about the excitement and just the entrepreneurial spirit that it was going on. In the oh, dude, it was, it was the best because again, you've got probably the greatest basketball player to ever play the game as your muse and then he looks at the things the way we me and tinker had looked at things as well we didn't mind being different and that's how he is he's not like the guy next door he wants to push the envelope and do things very different so you had a muse that was like just kind of the cream of the crop and then you know it's kind of fun to kind of just 
nobody kind of got in your kitchen. You're like, they're like, okay, we'll see if they can do it. And, you know, it was just a, a small group of us that said, okay, let's make this happen. And it forced us to really bond together because, you know, whenever there were naysayers, you know, we had to make sure that we were able to prove to everyone that this was going to work. So you had to be, you know, super tight in all your presentations, your point of views. And we became really like a family because we were rock solid on, you know, the things that we wanted to accomplish and, and how we were going to accomplish them. And what were some of the biggest challenges you guys faced early on? Well, so so the, so the biggest challenge, I think, is probably... Well, I think early on, it, it was just a matter of we grew so fast that in order to invest back into the business, it was going to take a lot, a lot of people resources, a lot of demand creation dollars. Like, And, you know, there were a lot of priorities on the Nike side at that time. So we had to compete with other priorities to make sure that we were able to to uh, get the things that we needed to, to make it happen. So that was probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, but... After that, it, you know, once people saw the success, it, it was, you know, it wasn't as bad. <laughs> <laughs> and the success, and even to the success, like Jordan, when he was playing, was obviously the greatest player that people had seen. Yeah. His career, and I don't know how many years it's been now since he's been out of the NBA, yeah. but the Jordan brand still resonates with kids that never even saw him play basketball. Yeah. So how do you think you guys have been able to – take that brand and still implant it in the kids that they probably never even saw Space Jam. Yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they just know the shoe because I don't even know why they know the shoe, yeah. but they know it and they love it yeah. and it sells out. Well, so so I think like the the a little bit of the secret to our success was, again, not being afraid to do something different. When the industry was doing one thing, we did something a little bit different. And we knew clearly who our target consumer was. And we did what we thought was right. And usually that consumer rode with us and then others kind of came along for the ride. And we were able to create kind of a, a, a history of product doing that, that, that allows us to, as you see the retro product today, like it is what it is. Yeah. But, it, but back then it was going, seeking out like the, the need to be very different and, and not being afraid to do it, doing it that way. And, you know, and so when we got to the time when Michael retired uh, the first time, we were like, kind of got caught with our pants down because, like, he didn't really tell us either. So we're like, <laughs> oh, no, what are we going to do? And then he made the triumphant come back again. And we're like, okay, well, we need to be prepared for if he does, when he does walk away, how do we start to set ourselves up for the future? So we looked at a couple things. I think the first thing is, is so, you know, we were preaching that the brand was kind of this brand that played kind of at a premium proposition. And then Michael goes out and does a movie like Space Jam. And we're like, oh, no. everybody's going to look at us like we're just a funny cartoon brand. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 don't do it. But the reality of it is, is I think that it helped us in a ton, in a, in a lot of ways, because looking back on it, as Michael did move away from the game, there was a whole nother generation that knew him from Space Jam. Yep. But then he became bigger than the man himself. Like, I used to have people come to me like, could he really dunk from the three-point line? You know, because <laughs> you know, <'cause laughs> the Monstars had him like, <laughs> dang, they're, ju they're jumping from half court. You know, so literally there were consumers that were like, did he really do that? I mean, and so, so now you had a whole nother generation that knew him that was even greater than, the myth was almost bigger than the man. 
So now you've got kind of this generation that un, that grew up with the man as greatness. Then you had a second generation that grew up like wondering if he was really greater than the man. And then both of those generations telling future generations of like how great everything was. So it's just been able to kind of like the domino effect just keeps going ro- rolling with this. So, you know, it, it's been a very good position to be in. Um, I don't think any of us could have really kind of predicted it. I think that, and then along with us trying to set ourselves up by, we felt like there was never going to be one guy that could kind of be the Michael Jordan. Like there's so many attributes to him, like off the court as well as on the court that to expect one person to be that person is just next to impossible. So what we did is we started looking at guys that took on some of Michael's attributes, whether it was on the court or off the court. And we used those guys as kind of um, Team Jordan athletes that could allow, would allow us to kind of get to the next level uh, and share with the world, kind of get a little taste of what Michael's world is through multiple individuals. So Nice. And then I've read that you spent some time growing the Jordan brand outside of the U.S. So the Jordan brand was huge in the yeah, U.S. Yeah. And then the goal was like, how do we make this bigger everywhere yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. So can you walk me through that and tell me, you know, what things you did to allow that to resonate yeah. in other countries? So so the first thing I'll tell you is, is so you got to remember the time that they asked me to do that job. It was an international GM job for Jordan. And it was at a time where, I mean, from a footwear perspective, we were killing it. I mean, just Everything we touched turned to gold. I mean, the the report report card for me was watching kids line up miles and miles, like, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, job well done. (laughs) And it was happening like, you know, whenever we had the launches, I was like, this is nice. So everything is rolling right. So then they came to me and they said, hey, you know, if we're going to get to uh, where we need to go in the future, we've got to expand beyond the North America market. And so we want you to take over an international job for to be the GM of Jordan and and expand it. And and we're going to give you three people to work with. Three people? And I, <laughs> you said the exact same thing I said. <laughs> what am I going to do with three people? <laughs> so so then so then they said, well, they said you're you're going to have to influence folks that work for Nike and the other geographies to kind of build this business. So you'll have virtual teams all over. I was like, this feels like a setup. <laughs> but I was like, and honestly, like I, because I was like in the height of just having fun, we're creating great stuff. Everything's rocking and rolling. I was like, uh, so I, how long had you been working at Jordan in North America when they asked you to take this international? I'd probably been doing it at that time. Probably, I want to say, uh, probably like seventeen years, fifteen to seventeen years, something oh, like wow. that. Yeah. And then yeah. now they ask you, yeah, to, to do that, to go do that. Yeah. So what even makes you say yes to it and say, you know, well, I'm enjoying my time here? Yeah. To be honest with you, I, I thought really hard about it, and then um, and then folks said, look. We think you're the guy to do this. And I was like, I really didn't want to do it. And I was like, well, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. And the reason I think I probably chose to do it is because I knew at some point I was going to have to change my direction. Like I had been doing what I was doing for a little bit, had some success. And at some point I was going to have to find out what that next step was going to be. And so while I really didn't want to do it, I committed to doing it. But I'll tell you, in all honesty, doing that job, um, 
not only changed me, my, my career, but it changed my, my life. It, it allowed me to see the world way different. And, and it allowed me to see that, you know, the world is, is, is more than just a sneaker game. You know, I got a chance to go out into the marketplace and all over the world and, and experience like the culture of basketball, which I didn't know about. You know, I didn't really care about. But as I went into places where I'd go into London and, you know, and I'd ask and I'd find people and I'd say, hey, I need to know where basketball is hot in London. And, you know, people would take me to these spots and I'm like, oh, just not good. Dudes <laughs> hooping in black socks and Birkenstocks. And I was oh, like, wow. if this is what basketball is like in London, there's trouble here. Let me keep moving. Well, then you go a little bit deeper. You start getting into the culture. You, you, you know, you go to hip hop clubs and you start to find out. And you start to socialize with people, and you and you ask them, "Hey, look, I mean, where are the Hoopers at?" And they start taking you to places where ballers are, and then you start to see that the culture that exists in the U.S. exists everywhere. You just got to find it. So what I would do is I'd find those places, and then I'd start to go deep. Like if I could resonate with them, then I would hopefully be able to resonate with many. So I let the few kind of lead others to, to, to kind of what we're trying to do. And so literally I, I, you know, started doing an event in Paris. I just chose the markets that I, you know, cause you can't go everywhere. Yep. So I had to prioritize markets that would, you know, would, would allow us to do things and kind of create, pull the masses. And uh, so I did some things and, you know, created some events and some events that, that, you know, where basketball was relevant, where music was relevant, where art was relevant. And it just, came together naturally. And I say it changed my life personally because even after that, I started my own foundation where I built basketball courts for underprivileged kids all over the world. Well, I shouldn't say all over the world, but I've done two so far where I've done some in South Africa and I've done some in Brazil. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so good stuff. How long, did, how long did you spend in that role? Like how many years were you doing the international? So I only did that for three years. And, uh, and and then I was uh, then I moved over to uh, sportswear Nike sportswear. So in the international world, what were some of the biggest risks you took to try to grow the brand? Oh well, so, so again, I had three people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was all about taking risks. Um, and and you got to consider like basketball in most other countries isn't is not the priority sport. Yeah. You know, soccer, soccer or football, football their yeah. football is going to take over. And so once you had to get past that, then it was about, you know, even within the Nike structure, competing with um, other priorities that the brand had set out. So I'm fighting for, you know, scratching and clawing for anybody that would listen. And so ultimately what would happen is, is when we were able to kind of create these certain events that happened in these markets and people saw like what it could mean and how you can attract that consumer and then how it would eventually like lead, parlay itself into business opportunities for for the product that's ultimately like how it started to just grow it just started to grow somewhat naturally after you kind of brought them to the right spot you know the old saying you lead a horse to water you can't make them drink <laughs> they started drinking <laughs> and even like being had you traveled abroad a lot before you took that role no not not, not really more than just uh, going to Asia so I was doing our factory trips because we have factories over there so um, really I hadn't done much there but and the crazy thing is like you you know I was just loving 
everything that was going on in the States. Um, but when I got outside and saw like, man, you can make like, you can bring one, the, the culture exists everywhere, so you can kind of enjoy the culture in other parts of the world. But then, it, you know, you also had a chance to just see, like, like the, we take for granted a lot of things that we have here in the U.S. You know, when you see kids that have to make life decisions of, of you know, drinking contaminated water or dying of thirst, like, those are real problems. And it starts to put things in perspective, you know, when you come back here and you're like, okay, really, like, we're tripping right now. Yeah. It's, it's really it not does. a problem. <laughs> so, so that that I never would have had that experience had I not taken that job and and really like looked at opportunity. You know, opportunities are going to come, they're going to go. It's about are you prepared to take certain opportunities when they present themselves. And so, I look back on it while I really didn't want to make the move. I was glad that I, I kind of pushed myself and challenged myself a little bit because it allowed me to see. A much greater picture. And then you say you built you've built two courts so far. Yeah. One in South Africa and the one other in Brazil. One yeah. In Brazil. What made you even go down that route? Like a lot of people travel the world and they see a lot of things, but and you wanna help, but once you get back home, it kinda like falls off because other priorities come out. Yeah. What made you actually do something to help? Honestly, it was just a matter of being thankful for the position that I've been in. Like, it was my way of giving back to the game of basketball. I feel like basketball afforded me a lot of opportunities that I might not have had. And so it was my way of just giving back to the sport. And then at the same time, you realize you could give back to people who love the sport in the same way. You know, when I built the courts in South Africa, like, there's this one story of this kid who's – his parents passed away and he was only 10 years old. And um, so he basically lived in the community that he was in. I mean, he barely had, he was living on $9 a month and the community was trying to take care of him. He had gang members trying to, you know, trying to get at him. And he chose basketball and school as his outlet. And so Ultimately, he became a really good basketball player. He played on some really raggedy courts, but he became a good basketball player. Um, and then a basketball camp came to South Africa, and he ended up um, uh, playing in these camps. And he was he flourished as as a young athlete. And actually, one of the coaches ended up adopting him, and so he ended up getting. But he wasn't adopted till he was like I think it was sixteen. Oh wow! But he, you saw that the game gave him a certain sense of discipline that allowed him to kind of navigate through life in a much greater way than. You know, he he could have gone chosen to go a complete different route, which would have taken him who knows where. So you see things like that, and it's like, you know what? Like it's it's really bigger than yeah. <laughs> the game can bring so much, you know, to you. And so that for me, like you know, uh, you know, one guy asked me, he's like, well, how how does this become sustainable? You building courts, and you know, to me, a story like that makes it sustainable. If there's one kid that is able to kind of learn something from the game or creates a discipline from the game that allows him to kind of navigate through life better or he decides to pay it forward like to me it was worth it you know um so so and i now want to kind of go back to your your basketball career yeah yeah. what what disciplines and what things did you learn from playing basketball growing up well (laughs) um so so i was that basketball player that was kind of like uh I was kind of like Pistol, Pistol Pete. 
<laughs> so, I, so you know, Pete Maravich is like down the court uh-huh. or like Magic Johnson, but I was a short version. You know, like I didn't mind dropping dimes, and I, but I'm, you know, no looks, you know, giving you the crazy bounce pass. Like that's how I'd like to do it. But I played for two coaches that were like, this ain't run, yeah, you, we need to run the regimented <laughs> program. You jump stop, you chest pass, and so so I quickly realized like, okay. I'm gonna either have to change my game up, but it, but it was way too hard for me because it was just kind of my nature. So I, I learned that there was a time and a place for everything. So you know when I had to drop the no look, then I did it. But when I had to drop the chest pass to stay on the court, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> so, and what I'm hearing is this theme of everything that you've done. You've always wanted to be different, oh, whether it's yeah. playing basketball, yeah. dressing. Yeah, it is. It's the just, way you attack business. It's just different. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> okay, so you leave after you come back from your international trip or assignment. And then you go to Nike Sportswear. Yeah. What's your role in Nike Sportswear? So I was responsible for creating. Um, so what Nike was doing at the time is we had just gotten into a business where we wanted to build product for the consumer when he was performing on the court, when he was training off the court, and when we, he was doing his thing from a lifestyle perspective off the court. So building product for the consumer 24-7 is what it was all about. And we called it the Amplify Offense. And so because Jordan, I had kind of done that, and, you know, Jordan, we had kind of a performance side of our business and we had a lifestyle side of our business. Um, I was asked to kind of do some of that on the Nike side. And so um, so I jumped in and I was responsible for both um, uh, basketball and American football. And so it was then more or less leading a team and getting people to think a little bit different Um creating and veneering projects that were done in a lifestyle way, uh, bringing back some of our retro iconic models and really doing those. Air Force One was a part of my stable, so obviously the biggest shoe in the industry. Uh-huh. And so, um, so yeah, so it was really just kind of taking a team and really um, utilizing um, and galvanizing kind of the performance category as well as the sportswear category to kind of build a product offering that um, worked for the consumer. Um, and, you know, through told great stories that aligned with other parts of our performance business. So a lot of your roles, you've worked with different teams, whether it's been a three-person team or a larger team in Nike Sportswear. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from, like, leading a team and working with people? Uh, Well, first of all, you're going to have all different types of personalities. um, And so to me, as a leader, the best thing that you can do for your team is just kind of level set, you know, remind people like, again, like what our tasks are. You give them a vision, you let them have some input on kind of how we're going to, you know, shape that vision. And then pretty much after that, once you kind of agree on the strategy, my job became like, okay, let you do your thing. And when things pop up and get in your way, call me so I can help remove those things. Um, So that to me is like, has become kind of my philosophy as I start to lead people and, you know, just also challenge them to think outside the box. You know, um, again, I believe our responsibility to the consumer is to kind of take them to places that they don't even know they want to go. And so, you know, but but I'm sharp enough to realize like what happened in my generation versus what happens in this generation is a little bit different. So it's asking the right questions of the team to to kind of challenge them to get to where they 
might not know they need to go. Um, so that's kind of my role today. And then with your career being over 28 years, I guess so many generations that you've touched, how are you able to remain so connected to understanding what's going on now versus what was going on when you were coming yeah, up versus yeah. what was going on in my generation, yeah, like yeah. all the various generations and remain relevant. Yeah. I, I think only because like, uh, it's just part of my DNA. Like I love the culture of basketball. And so with that comes, you know, music comes art. And so that's just whether I'm working here, I'm going to be doing that anyway. You know, I'm going to be visiting art centers. I'm going to be talking to kids. I'm going to uh, kind of be where basketball is being played. I just have that passion. So when you're able to kind of just, if that's part of your DNA, you're connected with other people that are in that world. And even as it crosses generations, you know, you still stay connected. And so I've actually, you know, I take pride in actually hiring folks on my team that, you know, are younger so that, you know, I can stay connected, but more so so we can stay connected to the consumer. So it's just, you know, I guess when it's part of your DNA, it's, it's a little bit easier. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of, not, I don't want to say a lot of people, but there's a, a group of people that they become so attached to the culture that they were part of. Yeah. And they remember, they romanticize like that time period yeah. so much that yeah. it's hard for yeah. them to move forward. Yeah. To yeah. the present, yeah. So have you not romanticized like? Oh, there's times the I'm early... sure. I'm sure there's times where I've done that. <laughs> but but uh, but again, I, I think like throughout my career, our target consumer hasn't changed. So that 17 to 22 year old kid is always going to be there. Now I've long past 17 and 22, <laughs> but I know I got to stay connected with them. Yeah. If I'm not connected with him, then guess what? None of this is going to work. So. How you stay connected. And, and you know, there's times where I was like, man, this generation does not get it. <laughs> but you know what? Like when you listen and you go deep and sometimes it's things that they don't say and where you learn the biggest lessons. Um, and then, uh, again, the reason that you have folks that are kind of in that are younger that are in that generation that can connect with those individuals, like they know how to tap into that. So then it becomes just my my ability to kind of challenge them in other ways so that we're getting what we need to stay connected. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I could have gone, you know, many times and now nah, we're going this route, but I know that that's not going to work because I'm not 17 to 22. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So after sportswear, what, what happens next in your career? So after sportswear, I actually moved over. I was actually contemplating leaving the company um, to start some of my own business ventures. Um, I just got to a point where I was like, I was doing some things and, and really had an opportunity to kind of challenge myself in new ways. And so I, I thought about leaving and um, was actually convinced to stay. Um, and then uh, was given an opportunity by the company to kind of do something that I really wanted to do that was outside of you know, some of the things that I had already been doing. So I've been doing basketball for you know, a large part of my career. And, um, you know, golf became one of my one of my sports. And so I was like, you know what? Our golf business isn't where it needs to be. I would love to just take on the challenge of getting golf to where it was, where it needed to be. And so you went into golf after 
Like Tiger had been the pinnacle, at yeah, one point, yeah, yeah, and then his career faded. Yep, and then you went in the golf when yep. it was no longer Tiger was no longer the face yep. at that time. Yep, yep. What made you want to go into a business that didn't have such a strong, prominent athlete? Yeah, when you had been attached to the biggest athlete in the world for so long. Yeah, well, I, I think part of it was like just the pure excitement of starting fresh. It's almost like when I started Jordan, um, it was like a chance to like just challenge myself to like think different like you know i felt like the game uh, of golf wasn't really nike eyes like the way the rest of the company was like i felt like you know we were doing things that were just there they weren't really resonating with the consumer and so i wanted to figure out how we could do that how could we put a, a nike point of view to stay connected with that consumer and so it was a challenge to kind of build kind of a sport that where it's typically super conservative and traditional. How are you going to kind of bring your Nike twist that kind of gives it that edge? And so I just kind of embraced that. And so built a couple of different parts of the business that, you know, I felt like was really going to resonate with consumers and speak to them in a different way. And I'm super pr proud to say like that business turned around big time. And uh, it, it connects it with the consumer, still connects today, and they're reaping kind of a lot of the benefits. And it's the right, it was the right thing to do. And it was, again, it was because, you know, when, you, when you're passionate about something and you love doing something, like, work is, like, fun, you know? Yeah. It doesn't feel like work. <laughs> so so I was into it, and, and, and the challenge, you know, made those long hours, like, didn't even feel like, you know, man, made them made long days feel like short days because you're just so into it and your your, your will to win and, and, and to make it work is so great that, you know, everything kind of takes care of itself. So when you went over there, what were some of the biggest changes and and successes that you had over at the Golf Nike Golf? golf? Uh, well, so the biggest one, I think, was, you know, when I first went over there, it felt like we really didn't. We were like, <laughs> I was saying, like, we're no meat, no fish. We, we were... We kind of weren't fishing where the fish were. So we had a bunch of conservative guys that weren't really feeling some of the stuff that we were doing because we really didn't have a lot of traditional stuff that was working for them. And then the stuff that we were doing that was kind of sport was really not really connecting with the sport guy. So it was like, okay, what are we going to do to kind of make this right? And then then the, the really good fortunate thing for me was that, you know, MJ – who loves golf. Like that's how the world's going to start to see him. He's starting his own golf, all that stuff. Like, so it was, it was another way. So once I built up kind of uh, a portfolio that worked for this more conservative or traditional consumer, and then started to build one that really related to this young athletic type consumer, then it was like, okay, let's give him a little bit of sizzle with a little MJ touch to it. So I had that connection. I, and some people would say, oh, you just couldn't, you couldn't resist, huh? You, you can call it that if you want. But, but uh, hey, it, being the fact that it's MJ's kind of world today, it kind of worked. And so now you see, like for the first time, you see golf shoes like going – going on eBay for like crazy amounts of money. I mean, like ridiculous. Wow. I mean, that never happened. You had golf shoes selling out in, you know, less than 30 minutes. Really? You know, yeah, full full on programs blown out. So fun just kind of getting back and creating some new stuff. Wow. And so, and I just want to talk briefly about the transition period where you were thinking about leaving. Mm -hmm. um, what 
You even wrote a resignation letter and sent it out to the company. So when you do something like that, how were you able to just be like, just come back from that? Yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't think I would come back from that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the letter that I wrote was kind of like a breakup letter. Like, <laughs> like breaking up with your girlfriend. Yeah, like, like, yeah, this is my girl. And hey, you know what? It was good. Good deal, but baby, we got to move our own way. You know, it was a whole big, it was like a long, like serious breakup letter. But it was done in a sense of like, hey, it was just a time for me to kind of experience new things. And so, you know, so so it was what it was. But <laughs> when I, I was fortunate in the situation because, um, you know, when, when people asked me, you know, got down to it and said, hey, look, like, really, is this, you know, what you really want to do? And they were super respectful of me. And they said, you know, if this is what you want to do, then, you know, we, 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 we will roll with you. But we really feel like you can kind of contribute to this company in new ways. And we want to give you that opportunity to do that. And so I was like, okay, all right, so let me think about it. And again, remember, I, I had to, I kind of reflected back on those days when I took that international job. I was like, okay, I really didn't want to do it. But <laughs> so like, maybe there's an opportunity here. And so um, the company allowed me to kind of like suggest like some things that I'd be interested in. And uh, again, it allowed me to follow some of my passion. And so it made the decision a little bit easier. Nice. And I know a lot of people, you know, after you do something like that, it's hard just your pride won't even allow you to like say, okay, I changed my mind and yeah, come back. Yeah, yeah. And now you got to face a lot of people yeah, that saw this. Yeah. So how was that for you? Well, and you know, it's funny. So I remember telling um, kind of the senior leadership team here, I was like, you know, well, I sent down that, that huge letter. <laughs> and, and, and I guess where I got the confidence is they had to come. They're like, ah, we're not worried about that. Yeah. So when they said that, I was like, okay, well, if you're not worried, I guess I'm not going to be worried either. <laughs> so it worked out. Nice. And I'm sure people were glad to see that you stayed, though. Some people were, I'm sure. <laughs> Most people were. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have a lot of friends here and a lot of people, like, you know, it was, it was you know, a time where people, I really felt um, valued and respected because people came back and said, you know what, we're super happy that you, you decided to stay and... And uh, so it was good. It was. It felt really good. Nice. But you've also pursued, like in building, you built the Nike Jordan brand, it feels like. You've been a part of it forever. And then you went over to Nike Golf and helped repair things and put things in place. But then you've been able to pursue business opportunities outside of this industry. So you have your restaurants mm -hmm. in Miami. Mm -hmm. And then you have your your ice and, and food truck business in Texas. <laughs> yeah. So how do you even have time to do all that when you're so dedicated to this world? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's kind of like you just get good people and then you let them do their thing. Like that is being able to find good people is what makes it work. Because uh, I really don't have the time, especially when I put a lot of my time that I dedicate to doing this, especially now because it's like, it's, it's a lot to do. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just a matter of, like, having good people. It hurts more when you lose a good person because, you know, you, then you got to go and uh, take the big task of trying to find someone else that can at least fill someone else's shoes that's done a great job. But I've been fortunate just to have some good people. And, and you know, also I've just tried to be really strategic about, like, 
the the business ventures that I do outside of this place just because this is my first and foremost priority. But, you know, if I can do some things that allow me to to employ not a ton of people, then that's that's usually makes it a little bit easier. And where I do have and, and you know, like the investment is, is is in the restaurants and stuff is I don't have to do any is more of a financial investment. OK, so that makes it a lot easier there. You know, I pop in and, you know, once in a while I help host it's <laughs> about the, that's about the size that's about the size of that I'm like because i don't know a lot about the restaurant business but great people that that do that uh, do that work with me yeah that's always important as long as you have great people around yep. whether it's in over here at nike or yeah and yeah the business makes it, it makes it easy yeah yep. okay the last so now we're in this phase where you're back at jordan mm-hmm. what has it been like coming back to where you started and what are the new challenges that you're facing yeah yeah well, it's kind of been deja vu to some degree because I sit in meetings. I'm like, dang, I did that like 15 years ago. <laughs> and I did that one like 20 years ago. So is it, it was it's been really interesting because um, the brand has changed quite a bit um, in the sense of um, like when we first started. You know, our goal was to really like create additional market share in basketball category um, using kind of Nike and Jordan to kind of like create a dominant position. And so it wouldn't have made sense back then to do the same things that Nike was doing. Like that could have been the easy thing to do, but that doesn't make much sense if you, why you don't need another company if you're going to do the same things. So our goal was to really like push ourselves to do something that is very different. And so early on in doing that, like, it was like because Jordan was kind of like the crown jewel of the Nike basketball business, you kind of have folks on the Nike side like pulling Jordan closer and closer when we were trying to like be more and more separate. And so I think a little bit of that old school mentality of kind of like pushing back has been um, it still carries out today. But the business has changed. We're so much larger, you know, and the things that we want to do going forward like now we've got to tap into kind of the collective genius of Nike to really see where we want to go going forward. So utilizing processes and things that are going to allow us to operate more efficiently is key. And, and you know, we've got, it's now about changing the behavior of like pushing back and embracing some things that where it makes sense to embrace it. And then almost having the best of both worlds, being choosing those areas where you can truly carve out a Jordan point of view that allows you from aesthetics and branding and all that stuff to be super different. But like take advantage of some of the things that are right there that that will allow you to be successful. So I think that's the biggest thing in coming back over is that I want to make sure that we're embracing some of those things so that, you know, I'm making folks' lives a little bit easier (laughs) so that we can execute, you know, and deliver things that I know we can do. So you're going to see us doing some things a lot different in the footwear world, like uh, focusing on kind of new. Like my goal is to make sure that what everybody knows is retro today. I want them to know over the next five years that 10 years from now, that stuff's going to be retro and they're going to want to covet it the same way that they covet the stuff that we know is retro today. So we're going to do things a lot different, make it special, have fun, you know, create some new energy, some uh, point of view from a design aesthetic that's really different. Um, um, That part is what excites me because it's, again, it's like starting over again and 
challenging people to think different. And that's that's probably one of the biggest challenges now is getting people to think a little bit different because they've been so so set on like we know retro is great and we just want to keep riding that horse I'm like oh we're going to show you what the next retro is going to be so that you can fall in love with that too so to the retro how i mean the retro has been at least in my lifetime gosh i don't know it's just been there forever like anytime a retro drops it's like you got to go get those retros yeah so how do you convince people that we need to start working on the next evolution of yeah, retro? Yeah. You just um, you just make it special again. Like I think you get back to the things that that allowed us to do what we did. Like all those retros, you know, when they started, they pushed the envelope. Like there was nothing else like it. Like I remember getting the first eleven. When the first eleven came in into the office, I was running around like a <laughs> like a crazy man. I was like, "This is the one!" Freaking out, freaking out. Thought it was the. And then we took it out into the marketplace, and kids were like, "Oh, that's whack! You got to take the shiny stuff off of that yeah. shoe. That's whack." I do remember that. Yes, people were like, "That is whack." And so at so, at one point, we looked back and we were like, oh, "Man, everybody's hating on us. Should we really do this?" We looked at you like, yeah, we gotta do it. <laughs> so we were like unapologetic. We're like, this is the right thing to do. And so we did it. And so guess what? We're gonna be doing some more of that. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna not be afraid to 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 push the envelope a little bit and and let people see what 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 the next thing is. And you know, today, because the consumer has so many avenues to kind of you know tap into. Like we'll utilize the right influencers, whether they're athletes, entertainers, or whoever, to help kind of craft a point of view because they get cool stuff, and a lot of them aren't afraid of being different. And so we'll collab on some areas with those guys to make some cool things happen. But I mean, I just think like a fresh perspective, and and this business is cyclical. Like you know, it goes through its ebb and flows of of things that are hot and what's not, and so. We just want to be on on trend when uh, we want to be the ones to, to catch it when people don't know what they're gonna like. Like, aha, we got you. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been able to do that throughout your career. Um, I just have one more question, but before I ask it, first I want to thank you so much for your time. I know how demanding your job is, how busy you are. You're always traveling, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me about oh, your career, how you got to where you are. And just over the years, like since the first time we've talked till now, like just always being willing to open up your door for me is like, I appreciate that more than anything. Oh, you got it, my friend. Um, you know, I honestly, like I, I, I said earlier that, you know, our, our jobs are to pay things forward, you know, and I think when you meet people that have true talent and true skill sets, you want to assist them in any way possible. And so, you know, you came to me early on. We had great conversation. You know, I've watched your 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 photography grow. Like, I'm like, dang, you know, <laughs> like I remember when. And so, so, you know, like anything that I can do, I think that's just part of my responsibility. And that's just, you know, besides like work, but it's it's as as human beings, I believe like it's our our jobs to kind of pay things forward and help the other person kind of succeed. I think too many times people get selfish and and 
I'm like, ah, I just don't, that's, I don't see a need for that. Like, so whatever I can do to help anybody, that's kind of how I try to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's appreciated. And I know my the listeners will appreciate all the knowledge that you share. So my last question, over the course of your career, you've continued to push yourself and stay motivated and achieve levels of success that most people don't reach. What is it that continues to inspire you to keep working and to keep pushing yourself? Yeah. Um, I'll say the, the first thing is, is I get my inspiration from everything. Like there's nothing that's like off limits. I mean, I remember working with a team. We've designed shoes and things from like hummingbirds. Looking out the window, saw a hummingbird. Boom. Started talking about how the structures of a hummingbird's wings can kind of lead to a lightweight structure in a product. And, you know, like like there's wow. nothing that is off limits. And so I always try to stay open and fresh to kind of like what what is out there. Like I'm a huge sponge and I just uh, try to embrace like anything and everything to to keep that inspiration. I think that the, the, the key to it, though, is being authentic. Like you can see something and just kind of make it work. But if you don't come from an authentic position, then it's truly not going to work. People will see right through it. So I always try to just make sure that like if I see something, I'm going to try to solve a problem that might be out there. I'm going to try to solve it in a new way. I'm inspired by anything and everything because you never know. Like other industries inspire me and how – trying to figure out how I can apply some of their successes to my business. Um, all that just allows you to kind of, uh, you know, just keep things going, keep the energy going. And and I'm kind of weird, too, in the sense of, like, you know, creative time comes to you whenever it comes. And yep. for me, it comes between 2 and 5 in the morning. <laughs> So, so usually, usually, like, I don't get much sleep because, ding, two, it be 2 in the morning and, and and you know I can't I have I keep a, either my computer or notepad right next to my bed, I write it down and then expand on it like when I get up. But usually I'm up at that point, so I just come into work. But but, <laughs> but, but but yeah, so so you know again long-winded way of just saying I'm inspired by anything and everything like people, um, just I just I'm an open book for all that. <laughs> nice. Well, it seems like you got a lot more runway left in you. So I hope so. I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> I'm excited to see what you do in this role and excited to see what's next for you after this. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, again, all your listeners like didn't fall asleep on me. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure it's going to be a huge group of sneakerheads that yeah, I'm yeah. going down. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. Uh, thanks again, man. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you so much. You got it. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat. And write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.